You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employer's respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, podcast humans. Welcome to this week's episode of this show where we talk about independent music, the people who are creating it, making it, listening to it, just involved with it in a very deep way. And I am very excited to bring you Jason Black from Hot Water Music. Hot Water Music is just such a good band. They're legendary in many of the halls that we walk around from a, you know, a show perspective. But uh, Hot Water, they're, they're doing it still. They're creating amazing music. They just released a new record called Feel the Void on Equal Vision Records, which is really cool because Equal Vision had never put out anything from Hot Water Music before. And now, uh, now they have, and it's a great record. Um, it's one of those spaces that exist for Hot Water to be able to, you know, do what they want and do what they do well. And I'm just so glad that we continue to get new music from them. Uh, Jason Black plays bass for the band. He also spent some time in Census Fail and, uh, you know, kind of a wide variety of other projects. But I've always uh, been fascinated with the band. I uh, got a chance to tour with them at one point, which we actually discussed in the interview. But uh, yeah, Jason, great hang. Super fun conversation, and it was really interesting to hear him talk about the, uh, I guess, the game that sometimes gets played in regards to bands being on tour with one another and being like, oh man, we're playing bigger shows, I guess we gotta like fit into this certain mold, and yeah, just really, really fun conversation with Jason, so... That's what we got, but you can always email the show, 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you, whether it's show ideas, whether it's band ideas, you know, I just, uh, I'm able to find inspiration out of that, and I appreciate that. You can also review the show on Apple Podcasts, or you can throw some stars on the Spotify 
app if you listen to it there, um, or just tell a friend because that is the best way that this show can get out. Um, there's some fun potential like live show plans. I'm not going to say any more about that, but uh, I may be, uh, may be making some live appearances with uh, some people doing this podcast in a live presence. So I will keep you posted on that. It's uh, It's pretty cool. I never really... I guess, thought about this podcast doing that. But, um, you know, there's some interesting opportunities. So that's all I'll say about that. And, um, yeah, let's just dive into the episode with Jason. Love this chat. Love the band. Hot Water Music. If you have not listened to them, just please do yourself a favor and listen to them and enjoy them. And I just, I love the fact that we could talk to Avail and Hot Water Music in, you know, less than a month. Oh, it's so great. But here's Jason, and I will talk to you after the episode is over. Hot Water Music looms large in uh, many punk and hardcore kids' record collection. And the thing that I find uh, fun and interesting, and I'm sure that you can relate to this, is there's so many different entry points where a people, a person can be, you know, an old head like me, where it's like, oh man, saw you guys at uh, Coos Cafe, uh, you know, on the Forever and Counting tour, or then a person that, you know, will have just listened to the newest record that came out on Equal Vision. And you guys have always applied the whole sort of working class band notion of just like, yeah, we're, we're playing in a band. We're putting out music and we're putting out records and, you know, hopefully you like it. And if you don't, that's fine, but we're going to do our thing over there. Has that kind of like working class mentality always been pretty much like hardwired in the band, whether you articulated it or not, uh, or has that been kind of a function of the, uh, just as you guys knew how to get out there, uh, that that kind of came into uh, fruition once you started to you know tour more and everything. I mean, I feel like it was mostly. I don't think it was by design, um, it, it, and that's just sort of how everything happened. Um, we've never. I mean, we're. One, I think in kind of the like. Man, I haven't thought about this in a while, so I'm going to throw a bunch of stuff out, and hopefully, it doesn't come off too. Um, too fractured and like too insane sounding. Um, well, welcome to welcome to podcasting, my friend. Yeah, good. no, no doubt. <laughs> um, it's like there, it's been a while, but I, I at some point, and I mean, it's probably been longer than I think ago. I had been, I don't know if I've been talking to the guys about this, just to, like a personal thing that I sort of realized is like there, and I feel like it has changed in recent years. But for a while, there was sort of no, as you say, like working class or middle class of bands in our scene. And I feel like that was kind of right around like the, I guess like what I would refer to as like the hot topic explosion of China. sure right. So like at that point, I felt like everyone was huge or everyone was small, and there were very few bands that kind of operated in our general, um, you know, orbit as far as size goes. You know, there, a lot of the bands that used to, you know, take a band like Alkaline Trio that was our size are huge all of a sudden, you know, um, not all of a sudden, but got huge. Um, yep. And then, you know, a band like Sam I Am, who we were like, oh my God, Sam I Am are huge, or smaller than us. So it was just this weird, we kind of, it, we've kind of spent most of our career in this sort of purgatory of like, <laughs> or limbo, whichever you want to put it out, where we're, we're not gigantic by any stretch, but we're not tiny. 
and we're not, um, we don't fit into any box musically other like broadly we do into like punk or or, or however you want to kind of frame that, but we don't fit into the, like doing things like warp tour hard for us because we don't people watch and are confused. Um, don't really know what to make based on make of it just because it's, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's not just an easily digestible thing for some folks. So I think that a lot of those things that only became apparent during that time were sort of baked in from the beginning to where we just have been this working class band. Like, and I mean, now we all have jobs. So when we go out to play shows, it's just, I mean, we have for a while when we go out to play shows, it's just kind of however we can make it fit in and work and, um, you know, week long weekends and that kind of thing. So it, it, it wasn't anything that we decided to do. It's just sort of how it happened. And I think it's like, we do well enough and like enjoyed doing this enough that there's been enough interest to keep it afloat from like us and from fans. Um, but if we were going to decide to do this full time, it would be pretty hard. I think, um, sure. Stage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I, we're lucky that I think we're lucky that we can't operate the way we do that. We're willing to kind of sacrifice maybe some comfort things to make everything work. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll still put in the time for sure, but we're not for like weeks on end, like for a week. And then I'm like, okay, that's enough of that's enough. right. <laughs> we'll go home and sleep in our own beds now for a minute. Yeah. Well, you, you've, you've clearly, you, like you mentioned, you know, you've done it, you've put in the work and now you are at that, uh, what I would personally define as a a comfortable space where you can be selective about the opportunities and the things you want to take a part in, as opposed to, you know, hopping on the ever ending treadmill of like, oh, we got to do this in order to make sure that we make the $600 in rent that we need for this month or whatever. Absolutely. And that is a lot of why we, why I, I'm glad we don't do it full time. And by full time, I mean like we don't, everyone makes money from the band, but it's not their main or only source of income. So it's not like if we decide to not do anything for a long time, it's generally not a huge hit for anyone, you know? Um, And taking that out of the equation allows you to not do what you were just talking about, which is like, there are definitely plenty of tours we've done in the past where I'm like, man, we would never have done that if we didn't need to go like try to cobble together some kind of money. And we'd already done A, B and C. So that was our only option. Um, so there's a lot of, again, I think that kind of um, is a little bit uh, a, a, a result of being the awkward ish size that we are where, you know, at some point you need to, when you're doing it full time, you have to go back on tour and make money because you didn't have enough money saved to be home for more than, you know, whatever, three months or something like that to work on a record, to go back on tour. To go. It's like, so you get, you get real hamster wheelie there if you're not careful. Yeah, definitely. And we'll, we'll discuss a little more of the hamster wheel a little bit later, <laughs> but <laughs> putting, putting you as a, a focal point, uh, you were actually born and raised in Florida, correct? I was born in Ohio, but I've lived here since I was six. So it's like, there's a little, I'm sure there's a little bit of formative weirdo in me from Ohio, but the rest of the weirdo is from Florida. Right. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) The the weirdo residual that happens. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I'm sure, you know, before you were six, like there's not exactly a lot of memories uh, attached to it besides fleeting ones. Yeah, absolutely. 
And uh, what was your family structure like growing up? Like mom and dad in the house, brothers and sisters. What did that composite look like? Um, my parents divorced when I was in middle school ish. Um, nothing like in retrospect, probably had like like everyone says, I didn't bother me at all. And then I got older, I was like, oh my god, I guess it really bothered me. Um, but nothing like you know, it, it was just hey, this isn't working. We're getting divorced, kind of thing. No fireworks or anything like that. Um, only child, so which makes being in a band even harder. Um, right. <laughs> You're like, I got to get along with all of these people. Yeah. And they're all wrong all the time. So I don't know how to deal with this. Um, <laughs> I, I, I laugh because I myself am an only child. So, you know, we, we can see each other a mile away and it's like, <laughs> Oh yes, I see. I see the struggles. It is challenging. You do need your own backstage room. Okay. I understand. Like that's a joke, but there, that doesn't yes. exist in our world. But yeah, in my brain, I'm like, totally. <laughs> like, that would be um, good. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's about like, you know, I, uh, I mean, I mean, pretty regular, um, as far as, I mean, I didn't have any particular advantages. My, my dad was a teacher and my mom worked at the school board as a secretary. So there wasn't like, it didn't come from a particularly, um, you know, financially. Yeah. What, uh, what struggles, but like, you know, it wasn't. Like, oh, we don't have to worry about anything. It was just very like, hey, we have money and things are paid. I never really freaked out about that kind of thing. Um, sure, sure. What what brought them down to Florida to begin with? I think my mom just hated the cold weather is where that – I think that was the original move. Yeah. Because um, my dad still complains about the heat. And uh, my mom <laughs> moved to North Carolina for a while and then moved back to Florida because it was too cold. So that too all works. <laughs> yeah, you're able <laughs> – I love that where it's like the complaints and then the divorce and then the complaints still exist. And you're like, Oh, I, I see why this is all happening. It's the same shit. Yeah. I'm like, Oh yeah. Okay. That's yeah. much more sense now. <laughs> sure. Sure. And so I'm going to guess like, because of the uh, only child upbringing that a lot of the influences that you started to get introduced to in regards to more independent culture was based around uh, your friends. Cause I'm going to presume your parents weren't, you know, giving you black flag records or whatever. Um, w- was that the case that you were just kind of like discovering this, you know, on your own through your friends or was a lot of it um, just by your own work of like digging into all these things as you started to become interested in it? Um, I mean, it was kind of, it was definitely, I mean, it definitely wasn't my parents. <laughs> Not that they, I mean, they didn't care. I definitely would, whatever, whatever I would buy at the record store would go directly on in the car when my mom was driving me back from the record store. So she was definitely, I mean, you know, when she took me to buy ride the lightning, like that got played on the way home. So it's not, they weren't opposed to anything. Um, as far as that kind of stuff goes. Um, yeah, mostly friends. I, I, my dad played drums and he used to play in the house in Ohio growing up a little bit. So it's not like I wasn't around it. Um, and he played a little bit of guitar and actually I kind of learned how to start the first time I started noodling around anything was on his acoustic guitar. Um, but it mostly the school I went to had, I kind of found music through playing, not through listening almost. Um, we had to pick, we had like rotating classes and had to pick instruments for orchestra. It was one of the rotating classes. And I just picked bass because no one else wanted to do it. I was like, that's fine. And then, um, you know, I was like, this, I'm only doing this what, two times a week. How bad can it be? That, wow. That's, that is really funny that the idea of, you know, getting into a whole subculture was introduced um, via, 
you know, you just being mandated to take a class. I picked up right. I was like, oh, okay, fine. I'll play up right in orchestra. Um, and like, I was already, it's not like I wasn't listening. I was sixth grade, I think. So it's not like I wasn't listening to music, but at that point I was like taping the morning radio. I was always really into records, but you know, I think, I feel like that was around when platoon came out. So I was super into the platoon soundtrack or whatever, like kind of just, finding random shit that kids were attaching themselves to and a little bit of the like i'm 46 so i missed most of the 80s music but kind of got in on a little bit of the tail end um as far as like just the john hughes soundtracks and all that sort of thing or whatever um but then once i figured out that upright bass and electric bass were the same thing then i was like oh shit i could be at a band and this mm. was, you know, when you'd watch the MTV top 10 countdown at dinner every night or whatever. So there's just, it was all, <laughs> it was all rock at that point. Um, mostly hair metal. Sure. So you, you know, you're like, oh man, these guys are all playing shows. This looks fun. And, uh, I like metal. Metal's cool. Oh shit. There's a bass player. I just thought there was a bunch of guitar players. Um, and so then as soon as I figured that out, that's kind of where the trajectory went. As sure. Far as getting into like getting really deep into it. And then, I mean, as far as the punk scene went, it was still that kind of zone where I had some friends that were skaters and some friends that were just like weird nerds and some friends that were like, you know, I don't know how to describe it. Like, like, did, like alt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Some alts, some goths. And then like the, the metal kids from like, I mean, Hesher's probably would be a good way to put it. Like that kind of like dirt lip mustache Camaro vibe. Um, sure. So I kind of had a little bit of all those as friends and just people that I had in classes throughout the day. So I like a lot of the, a lot of the punk that I found would be from like my skater friends, but it, that was still when people listened to like skaters would still listen to Exodus and then also listen to Minor Threat. So there was a lot of like thrash and punk crossover then and some hip hop, like early, like Run DMC and stuff like that in the mix too. So it was just kind of a free for all how I ended up here. And I think that I ended up in punk because those were the people I knew. Punk and metal were the people starting bands. Mm -hmm. So we just kind of went through the, I guess I just went through the grinder and decided that, um, punk was more fun sure i don't know like i don't know how you just got to there (laughs) yeah you just yeah you kind of i mean it is difficult to look back and see why you're pulled in one direction or another but i i think most of the people get pulled towards the punk and independent stuff because i mean especially at that time like 80s metal i don't care how much you either saw those bands or listened to those bands they seemed untouchable no for sure yeah absolutely like how the hell are you going to be bon jovi or whatever poison you know and even anthrax and all those bands they're just all over the tv all over all the magazines like had a whole thing um so yeah and that's true it probably is a lot of the like hey punk band looks like me i can do that um and, and i think a lot of it too was uh, through high school, a lot of my training then went from classical into jazz. And this sort of bass playing that I ended up doing just doesn't really fit with metal so much. Like I can do metal, but it's, it's not, 
it's like I have to get some new synapses to fire and build themselves to go that direction um, without just kind of what I like pretty much faking it. I feel like. Right, right. Well, let's just let's just call a spade a spade, Jason. You're not that not that good of a bassist, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> metal, metal's a little tough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I'll, I'll I'll take the uh you know the uh, path of less resistance there. That's cool. Um, and so what kind of kid did you find yourself being as you were you know what playing bass and obviously like more so in the high school era? Like, did you also play sports? Did you care about school? Oh, no. Where did you? Okay, no, none of that. I did well in school. Um and was like, I mean, part of, I think my freshman year, I can't remember what year it was. I was, went to three different schools during the day because I went to a districted high school, like a districted high school to take an early class. My the high school that I went to, which was like a smaller school that a bunch of kids all went to together from like fourth grade to graduation. And then a performing arts school in the afternoon. So I was at school from like 7.30 to 4.30 at that point during the day and would then walk home from the bus stop a mile with my base, literally in the case, not up hills, no snow, but just that actually happened. Right. Um, well, you're probably in a gig bag though, right? No, it was in a case because that's just what it came in and it was... Oh, it okay. Sucked. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I did, like I had a bunch of friends, but was still like... I mean, I definitely got beat up kind of sometimes, not a lot. Usually, I mean, it was usually kids of mouth and off to, um, that's back when there was a lot of skinheads in school still. So there yep. was always kind of, you know, that, that kind of fight element of the scene was still pretty around <laughs> more than it is now. Um, at least with that sort of thing. So I don't know. I mean, I feel like I had a good childhood and, and a good, um, like really good group of friends. I'm still friends with a ton of people from middle school and high school, which is kind of weird um, because we all kind of ended up getting it, just ended up getting into punk and staying into it, you know? Um, so I feel like it was, it was super weird and I'm glad that it was super weird. Right. Well, and I think too, that especially in that era of, getting into things that your peers were not into, not only did it feel like this, you know, completely secret society, but then on top of that, you also had this, uh, you know, idea that you were building towards something. You couldn't articulate what that was, but just like the idea of like being in a band felt so, you know, revolutionary. It did. And I didn't, I mean, luckily for me, the school I went to didn't even like really have sports teams. So it wasn't, there wasn't like, there was still like the jocks versus us, but that was more at the mall than at school. At school. Right. So, um, so it it was cool. It always felt good. And like everyone I was around was like always pretty creative. All my different groups of friends were always up to something back then. And everyone really, I feel like music was kind of the common thread for everyone. So, I mean, it was really cool. And we would all go to, we'd go to any show that came. Like, I mean, we just, Sunday, we just played at the venue that we kind of all, all the dudes in the band and a bunch of my friends grew up going to see the big shows at. Um, so it was very cool to, to play there, but it, I don't like, we would just drive to go see any, you know, ministry if they came, just kind of anything and close to the, at <clears throat> all close to the scene because there wasn't such a glut of bands back then that people you know, only listen. It's like people only listened to Scott Punk back then because there was like 
maybe Voodoo Blow Skulls at some point or something. Like there was like two bands doing that or the Boss Tones probably. Yep. So there, it wasn't so fractured. Like everybody that was into the scene was kind of into everything. Right. Be- well, because, I mean, those bands that you mentioned were good, but there wasn't a, uh, you weren't crippled by choice. It was like, how, where can I find more of this? Like, oh, there isn't any more? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll get into this other thing that's sort of like it. Yeah, absolutely. So it was, I mean, I think that, like you said, it's not, it, it, on one hand, you don't have as much quality because you just don't have as much choice. But on the other hand, it was cool because everyone was kind of into everything. So it was a lot less, that there wasn't, there were not scenes within the scene at that point because it was just the scene still. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was like collective scene. And honestly that like, I think that's what the charm of hot water music is in general, because it was this, you know, uh, you guys built a very big tent that you could pull from. I mean, honestly, not too dissimilar to what like avail did where it was like, I don't care if you're punk, hardcore metal, whatever, like you can come here, you can pop your fist in the air, you can yell and like, it all falls into this, you know, really loosely defined genre as independent music. And I, and and like you said, it didn't put the band at a stature that was ever going to be, you know, played on the radio, even though I'm sure people promise you that at one point, (laughs) but yeah, but just that idea that you were building a, a pretty large tent to introduce people to your band and it wouldn't be something so foreign that they wouldn't have any idea what to do with. Yeah. I mean, that was kind of the, one of if there was ever a mission statement of the band, it was always that there wasn't. We would do anything if it worked musically, right? Like so, there wasn't an idea that was no, you know, don't do this or don't do that. I mean, there are definitely things that are not submitted to the band ahead of time because people just know better at this point. <laughs> but um, it it was always kind of a like no, let's like we just. I think talking to this about, or excuse me, talking with someone else about this the other day that like to, to me anyway, like all of my favorite records that really stand the test of time in the rock world are like faith no more records or fishbone records, or I mean, the cure is my favorite band. Like those records are so diverse from track to track um, that I think just kind of those sort of things being touchstones for all of us really kind of, made that be like we those are the records that we all kind of want to listen to on a regular basis so like everyone will go down there you know listening to whatever band has 12 of the same songs on every record because there's a lot of good bands that do that but i mean i think fugazi is probably another good example that was a big influence on us too is those are you know you can flip through their discography and not know it's the same band at a lot of different points and so that was always we all just listened to such different shit that there wasn't any way to make a uh, super cohesive band, I guess. Right. Yeah. We had no choice, but to sound like this, this blender of all these. Totally. (laughs) Let's talk about one of the best ways that you can support bands and artists out there in general. And that is first of all, attending a show. And if you cannot attend a show, you can buy band merch. And the best place to buy band merch on the internet is rockabilly.com. You saw that coming from a mile away, but I love this company so much for a variety of reasons. One, the fact that they are giving you, the listeners of this podcast, 10% off your order. So at checkout, use the promo code 100 words or less. That's the number 100 words or less. It gets you 10% off your entire order. How this supports bands is because Rockabilia believes in paying royalties. This is all officially licensed merch stuff. This isn't any bootleg stuff that you see existing out there on the uh, Instagrams and interwebs. 
this is all officially licensed. So the bands get paid. It helps them create that revenue stream that sometimes is lacking when they can't play shows because we have clearly lived through that. Independently known and operated, knowned, owned and operated. And they also ship from the Midwest, so it'll get to you lickety split. I love Rockabilia. Again, 10% off your order by using the promo code 100 words or less. Thank you for your continued support, Rockabilia. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all want more time in our lives. You know, whether it's like, dang, I wish I had like another hour to, you know, play video games or read more or get outside or whatever it is. I know myself that I actually get questions a lot in regards to this podcast. How do you fit it in your day? And like, how do you do the interviews and all that stuff to be able to then balance the rest of my life from my work and, you know, playing in a band and I have a family, all of these things. But that is why therapy is so awesome because it helps you be able to sort out your life to focus on the things that for one really matter to you and two, try to find more time for those things that you love. That is why I love working with BetterHelp because if you need to find a therapist, they're there for you. So give them a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient for you and they can be suited to your schedule and you fill out a brief questionnaire, matches you up with your own personal therapist, and if you do not like that experience, you can switch it. No problem. No questions asked. It's great. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Ray today to get 10% off of your first month. It's an offer just for you, the listener of this podcast. That's BetterHelp.com Ray. Was Hot Water Music essentially like your first band in regards to like actually putting out records and touring and stuff like that? Or did you do uh, bands on a much smaller scale and level before that? Um, we had all done a ton of stuff before that, but nothing like, I'm, I mean, local shows. I think Wallard had a couple seven inches, maybe. Mm-hmm. George had one. Um, me and George had a couple demo tapes from some bands together. Like we were making songs and recording them and playing shows since we were all probably around like 16 or 17, but um, maybe a little younger than that, even maybe 15. I feel like 16. I feel like we had to be driving for the most part. Um, Right. Right. Like I don't think that now, I mean, I did play a few shows before I could drive with my very first band, but like these are not real shows. And that was not like an actual band in as so much as we recorded like three songs and that was kind of it. Um, right. Once we, I think once everyone kind of got a taste of it, it was like, yeah, we, we wrote songs. We go to the studio and we make a demo tape that we sell the shows. So we tried to go play shows and we would, I mean, we, there was a couple places where we grew up to play and then we would also rent out. There was a, um, like a community. So it was actually, it was a community center, not like a community center that you could rent for like $200 or something. I feel like it was probably cheaper than that. And we would just have shows and have like five bands play and charge $3 or whatever, just to make the deposit back on it. And we would do that all the time until they just got tired of it at some point. But, um, so everyone was kind of, you know, always trying to play parties, always trying to play skate ramps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Wherever, wherever would accept you. (laughs) Absolutely. But as far as like a, a loosely functioning, thing that went out of town and played shows this was this was our first venture into, into that zone 
Yeah. Uh, the reason, the reason why I ask that is because I do find it so, um, I guess for lack of a better term, charming when a person and a band is able to exist clearly for as long as you guys have had. And, you know, it's like whatever AFI is another example where it's just like, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's, that's Davy's only band. That's wild to even think about that, but it's totally. the truth. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's really, this is, we haven't, I mean, it was all high school bands, you know, and half of them, George and I were in together. So <laughs> like, totally. Um, yeah. It's kind of the same, definitely the same program where just, this is, this has been it the whole time. Yep. No, it's really cool. And uh, I know because you've toured not only with Hot Rooting Music, but a, a lot of different uh, bands and musical acts and stuff like that. How has your relationship with uh, touring, uh, I guess, evolved? Like, did you like it at one point and then hate it at, at another point? Like, how did that kind of transpire as you started to, you know, experience what tour was like? Um, I mean, we used to love it because it was just, you know, we were... 19 or 20, I guess, when we started the band, give or take. And so nobody, we, it's not like we had any, we hadn't been anywhere. It was the coolest thing ever. Oh my God, we're on tour and people coming to shows. Um, and then you go through this kind of, you get stuck in it because that's how you make a living. I mean, not stuck in like such, I think that sounds more negative than I meant it to. Um, yeah, but yeah, uh, that's just part of it. That's, that's the deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I find that like most people kind of either make the transition to like super professional where it's like they have one band they work for that's huge and they're on retainer and they just only have to deal with that sort of thing or the band becomes huge. Like I'm including um, crew in this as well. And then I think everyone else kind of gets to the point where like, this is like, Hopefully, there are so many bad things about touring if you do it from a young age and you don't stop for some period of time because you become this like arrested development Peter Pan syndrome kind of thing. Sure. And I have seen it make people just absolutely unable to function in normal situations because they're only like, and no, no, no um, disrespect to them because if you think about it, you're, you have this, you make a new pack of humans for six weeks. And then half of those people, you know, you tell them, okay, my wife and I were just talking about this the other night. Cause she toured for a long time as well. Like you'll tell people shit that you didn't tell friends you've had for 10 years when you're on tour for six weeks. And then you never talk to them again. It's really bizarre when you kind of step back and take a look at it like that. Um, so I feel like everyone that, that tours has gone through all of the stages of grief and back then <laughs> again with it, because it's sort of, there's a lot of really awesome stuff about it. Like I like going to different places. I love playing shows. I don't mind traveling, but I don't like being away from home. None of us really do, which is why we do, you know, three or four days at a time. And uh, I, I think that, I don't want to say that it was this situation where everyone decided to stop touring because they wanted to be home more. Although that had a lot to do with it. I think we also realized that touring all the time didn't do us any good, whether we wanted to be home or not, if that makes sense. Um, So it just sort of ended up this way. Um, Yeah. I, well, I really like what you said right there, where it, it, it does become this kind of like steak eating its tail. <laughs> you start oh. to like, 
yeah, you start to take these opportunities and like, yes, like touring is fun and like, okay, cool. Like maybe we'll play with these different bands and we'll get exposed to a different audience. But like, you know, if pressed, like gun to my head scenario, like would I take this tour if we didn't have to? It's like, ah, maybe not. Because like you said, you didn't want to be as gone for, you know, indeterminate amounts of time. Um, and so I, I completely understand that, uh, thought process of like, okay, if we pump the brakes, like we can probably make this like enjoyable and last longer. Yeah. And like more, more fun and, and just like ever, you know, nobody's crushed by the end of it. Nobody, there's like, again, there's plenty of people that make it work and that's awesome. I'm not saying that it's a a horrible thing at all. It's very cool. And that's pretty much how I, I mean, it's how I met my wife. It's how I know pretty much everyone I know. Right. Um, but there, I feel like there's a little bit of a half-life on it. And definitely what you said, it's so easy to tour yourself out of touring because people don't want to see your fucking band that many times. Like it's, it's just you like get to a point where it's like, that's, I've, I have seen this enough times. I do not need to come back. Right. Um, yeah. The, and, four, the fourth time through Detroit is like, are we really doing anything here? Or are we just yeah. like coming through here? And it, it really got that way for us with support tours too. Like there's just, I think that there are like, I, I'm definitely under five bands that I would be like, yeah, we should probably think about that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, available being one of them, we just did those shows. That's the no brainer for us. Cause we're friends and it's great. And it's like a one plus one equals three, as far as shows go, everyone's super pumped and it's always awesome. But like it, it's, you start to realize at some point that when you get to a, a certain level of supporting supporting acts at a certain level that it doesn't matter what you do that people just want to watch them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. No convincing most, for the most part. Yeah. And not in a, like a bad way, not like models thrown at you way where it's like, I'm just like here collecting a check every night. This is kind of a waste of time um, for, for the like whatever band career side of things too. So there's a lot of having some perspective on all that stuff and being able to kind of look back on it has, has, I think put us in a, a good, um, smart spot with touring. It also prepped us for COVID too. Cause it's like, okay, cool. We can just go do three shows at a time. Then that's fine with us. That's how we've been doing it for five years anyway. So. Yep. Totally. Totally. <laughs> uh, the, um, a specific tour really stands out to me in watching you guys progress as a band. And I know it's been mentioned in other interviews, but um, the sick of it all AFI hot water music tour and indecision to me, it seems like a real um, interesting inflection point for this scene at large, because it was such a diverse uh, lineup of bands playing together. But then it also seemed like every band really actually contributed to the tour package, you know, and like the, tour packages were a little, I mean, they were common, but not as a way that they are now. Um, did you feel like that was kind of a, uh, you know, a real jumping off point for the band to not only get exposed to new audiences, but kind of, you know, really helped your popularity or was that kind of just like a special tour because of the bands involved? Um, no, I think it definitely helped us. Um, and that was a wild tour. So it's right when AFI was blowing up and sick of all was like still on like built to last style popularity. So um, it, it was a lot of fun. That was a very cool tour. We made really good friends with everyone on the tour um, and still talked to most of those folks, not on a regular basis, but I mean, we generally, you know, if we're near where any of those people live, we usually end up seeing them. So um, it, that was a cool tour. And that's, I hate to say like way back when tours used to be really cool, but that's kind of how I feel about the tour. Where it's the, the, 
diversity in that package is hard to replicate these days um, in that it doesn't quite work as well anymore. And I think that is a part of symptom of what we were talking about or what I was blabbing about earlier, where this, there weren't enough, there weren't 800 AFIs then there was one. And yep. so like, there were a lot of hardcore bands there, but there was definitely only sick of it all as far as like, they, I mean, they're still the Kings, but they were so you could add all of us together and get something and, and everyone would stay for everything instead of putting a tour together like that now. And the fans end up like hating each other halfway through the set or whatever, you know, um, I feel like that tour and then kind of a part B to that was the bad religion less than Jake tour. Those two tours really helped the band. Um, and we were really, really lucky to be able to do both of those. Um, and I, you know, if one of something like that came along again, I think we'd be hard pressed not to do it, but it's also like we did shows with AFI after that tour when they were huge, huge, huge. And I don't think that helped the band because that had gone so far to sort of what I was talking about before, where it's like our aesthetic like worked well within the context of sick of it all in AFI and indecision, but like just us in AFI didn't work quite as well. Mm-hmm. I, we haven't done a lot with sick of it all since then, but that could turn out the same where it's like just us and sick of it all without kind of the AFI buffer. Maybe it doesn't work as well. So that was definitely a magic tour for sure. Yeah, no, I, I, I like that. Uh, that description of it because it's like you do need kind of this bridge band to be able to it like have everybody's audiences kind of commingle with one another um mm-hmm. at that, especially at that particular time like now everybody listens to everything and there's less uh bifurcation of the scenes like you know you can just be on this one huge thing like obviously you look at riot fest or whatever yeah. but uh, but yeah i i totally get what you're saying um, and for you personally, uh, like you were mentioning in regards to uh, the, you know, the business of the band as far as, you know, touring and being able to make a living, uh, you know, Hot Water has always existed in this interesting juncture where clearly, you know, you guys have had, you know, booking agents and management and stuff like that at, at certain points of your career, uh, booking agent more so from the, the consistency of it. Um but how did you guys kind of uh, approach the business side? Like once that started to become you know, for lack of a better term, real, where you guys had to be like, oh, wow, like we're getting paid $600 to play this show. Like, that's insane. I, I'm never even, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Um, did you like it or was the business kind of just something that you had to do in order to kind of keep things rolling along? I ask myself that question a lot lately. Okay. Because um, <laughs> I've been very busy with that on top of, of like actual job. Um, it was, I mean, pretty easy line from A to B is we were on tour with the Vale in like, I think 98 and um, I was talking to Joe Banks and he was like, you guys should probably incorporate, like we've already been audited twice. Um, and that was when the IRS didn't understand what bands were, right? you know, and like, how is this band with like the naked dude that doesn't do anything running around on stage, making all this money. And like, you know, like they're just like trying to explain a Vale as an entity to anyone from the IRS at that point probably short circuited their mind, you know? Um, so again, it's like a lot of things we really kind of owe it all to a bail for, <laughs> for the most part. Um, but yeah, like Joe kind of walked us or walked me through it. And he's like, you know, you should probably be an S corporation, this, that, and the other. And I just sort of, we figured that out. And then we got an accountant that kind of like helped us do things, you know, as well as we could for a long time 
then we got another accountant. Then we just finally got the, like just this last year, we got like the account that we should have, we would have been great if we had the whole time. Um, it's, I kind of hate that part of it. I end up, I, I do it. We don't, I mean, so that's maybe why I hate it is because I have to deal with it. <laughs> but sure, um, it, it's, it, it's getting harder because I'm not like, this isn't the like, oh my God, inflation, because whatever. It, hotels are expensive as shit now and gas is crazy and like things that you could do to cut corners don't exist anymore. And at some point it all, it's going to start eating itself because bands like us are going to end up charging $50 for t-shirts because that's just where it's going to go. And there isn't, uh, I don't know what the solution to that is because um, people don't want to pay for records anymore. <laughs> so there's kind of a like, it's that. And then on top of that, just like, like I said, I'm not saying inflation, but just like things are always getting more and more expensive. Um, and so that's going to translate to show costs and everything, because since, you know, everyone kind of lost the, it's not like everyone was making a ton of money on record sales, but since you now make zero, it, uh, it's a whole revenue stream that went away that, uh, I think whenever I hear people complain about tickets, prices or t-shirts, I'm like, well, Buy some. You should have bought some records. Yeah, did you buy the record that now costs twenty dollars because vinyl costs like fourteen dollars to press? So there's just a lot of like a lot of that kind of stuff that makes it a little bit of a headache. Sure, Um, sure. But I mean, I don't. It's. I guess it's like a compulsion that I have to do it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think we would ever hire a business manager because I would just be up their ass too much for it. It would end up more like, why are we paying this person? Cause I'm just making their life hell. Um, so it's. Yeah. It's, it's evolving. It's complicated. It's obviously yeah, it's, it's not like easy. Not a, no. And it's not a skill set that I'm mad that I have or that I'm like gaining or whatever, but um, you know, it, it is, it sucks. Like sometimes I wish I was a person in the band that just showed up to the show and looked at the crowd and was like, this seems cool. And that was all of the information that was in my brain about the night. Right. And instead of like all of the other information that's in my brain, like I wonder how much, I wonder if we hit points. Are we going to have, do we have a deposit tonight? How much is the hotel? What time are we getting out of it? Like, you know, just like, that. so it, it would be cool to not always feel like I'm, trying to be Russell Crowe in a beautiful mind when we're playing a show, but like it sometimes ends up like that. So yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, no, I understand what you're saying. It's, it, it is uh, like you said, it's not a clean answer, but at the same time, there are implications where it's like, well, yeah, I guess I could make this easier on myself, but at the same time, I would still be concerned about that. So it wouldn't necessarily be easier. <laughs> No, that's, yeah, I mean, I have a little bit of martyr syndrome too, but it's also, I just know myself and I know that like, you can hire someone to do this. I'm like, yeah, but I would just spend the same amount of time double policing them doing it. So I'd rather just do it wrong myself and get yelled at by myself, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Right. You may, yeah, you can, you're like, I can, I can abuse myself pretty good. So we're we're good. (laughs) You also, and on that same business tip, you have worked, you know, in almost every single, um, you know, cool, uh, what I would define as like a punch list of like every cool independent record label that's existed from, you know, Epitaph to Equal Vision Now and, you know, Rise Records. And you've all, and honestly, from my outsider's perspective, all of these relationships have been 
created pretty organically you know i mean even obviously with the record you did with walter and some um and clearly your relationship with no idea uh has your relationship with labels always been kind of like different shades of the same thing where it's like oh yes there are deficiencies in certain labels and there's cool things that they get um but you know it's all we understand that you know having a label is an important part of the whole process it is complicated. Um, I would say that w- we always kind of liked, I mean, it is like, I'm kind of glad you pointed that out. Um, we always wanted to work with as many labels as possible because it, especially when we started, you had, they sort of defined your band much more than they do now. So, or they defined your like immediate audience, right? So, you know, you had like your lookouts or your, your victory records or your discord or, you know, cruise and SST and whatever. And you knew to an extent what you were getting when you bought a record. Like you, you knew with Lookout the general, at least like a, there wasn't a musical style so much as the general musical aesthetic with most of their stuff, right? And like same thing with Discord. Like they're from DC. Most of the DC bands have a like a little bit of the same vocabulary, so you can kind of be like, "Ooh, I want to check that out," and, you know. And, and so there was a little bit of like a stamp of approval to the to fans of music, like if so-and-so put out, you know, revelation, you'd be like, this is prop, you know, this will be like better sounding hardcore. This will be recorded better than the record on this label or whatever kind of, you know? Right. Um, so, you know, we always being the band that didn't fit in anywhere, just kind of we're cool with working with whoever wanted to work with us. Um, and, and that was sort of what, working with every label we possibly could turned into was let's work with the label that wants to work with us the most, because that generally became an hour experience when things went really well. Um, so it's, it's funny. I didn't think about it from the perspective of wanting to work with as many labels as possible, because I do think that that is, uh, you know, a completely a bygone era of, you know, when you guys were doing all of the, you know, splits and collaborations that you were doing, you know, whatever in the nineties and early two thousands where it's kind of like, Oh yeah, this opportunity can give us, you know, the, op- the ability to record at this studio. Cause they're giving us a little bit more of a budget or whatever. So it's like, you're just kind of throwing it all out there and being like, yeah, why would we not do this? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like you said, it is a bygone era. Like it doesn't really matter. There aren't, I'm sure there are more than I'm aware of, but there aren't a lot of labels with kind of a baked in audience. I mean, like Rev still has one for sure, but that's been the same baked in audience the whole time for the most part. Um, I mean, I feel like maybe top shelf and run for cover of SARS near labels have a little bit going on. Um, I mean, equal vision has such a crazy diverse roster. They've kind of ended up in that epitaph zone where it's like, I don't, you know, epitaph had a baked in audience like of, just, you know, the Pennywise offspring, BR, no effects kind of fans. And then, then they signed Refused and then they signed Tom Waits and then we were on the label and it just kind of went sideways from there as far as that goes. So, um, that was a lot of it. And, and yeah, I mean, all, I would say that we had really good dealings with, I don't have anything negative to say about most of the labels that we've worked with. Uh, like overarchingly negatives. I can nitpick anyone, but um, of course, yeah, there's always going to be instances of shortcomings just because that's humans. 
Yeah, exactly. And it gave me a lot. Of, it comes back to us on some level too, where it's like, oh shit, we should have been on top of that, or we did this wrong and that made them do this whole thing and <clears throat> whatever. Um, you know, I uh, I don't think I would take anything back because we wouldn't be where we are if I did kind of yep. thing as far as labels go. But there's definitely, um, you know, some people are more interested in paying bands than others. And most labels are super good about it, but uh, some surprising ones are not so great at it. Um, yeah. Which is yeah. unfortunate. But other than that, everything's been cool with everyone. Yeah, that's cool. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. With the best all-inclusive vacation deals to Mexico and the Caribbean, booking your getaway with cheap Caribbean vacations means you have more freedom to do your deal. Whether you want to enjoy snorkeling, endless margaritas and more, or simply soak up the sun and sand in a tropical paradise, cheap Caribbean vacations has your deal for that. Plan and book the exact getaway you want at exactly the right price for you by using our exclusive budget beach finder. Or find a featured all-inclusive package to Ibera Star Hotels and Resorts and do your deal at CheapCaribbean.com. Uh, the, uh, I actually toured with you guys. I tour managed Alexis on fire. This was probably like, I don't know, 2002, 2003 or something like that. It was, yeah. uh, yeah, you guys, us, uh, Planes Mistaken for Stars and, um, totally blanking on the other band, but moments in grace, moments in grace. Yeah, that's right. Cause I think they did portion of the tour anyways, regardless, <laughs> I, um, I just always loved watching you guys like, you know, sound check and just be this band that was like, okay, we're touring with people who are kind of of a different generation. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, we'll be bringing kids to like, it, it was, it was a very good vibe tour package from what I, I perceived, but you guys definitely just kind of were like, all right, we're, we're going to do what we're going to do. You know, we're putting our heads down and um, you know, kind of, again, going back to that sort of blue collar working class band, like you guys were just unaffected by either if it was a small turnout one night, it was just like, you just kept on doing it. And uh, do you think that that was kind of a a protective shell that you had built up to that point? Or was that just kind of always the modus operandi of the band? I mean, that was kind of how we always rolled. I think, you know, sadly now it, it, it shouldn't say sadly now. I don't quite have that switch anymore. Um, I mean, I feel like Chuck just blacks out as soon as we start playing, so it doesn't matter. How, he'll never have any idea how many people showed up. Um, it's like, um, and I don't mean blackout drinking. I mean, just like he just goes like feral and plays the set and then is done. Um, yep. You know, I, I am very much affected by that, like affected by the turnout. I'm affected by the vibe more than anything. So it's like small turnout, good vibe. Doesn't That's cool. You know, big turnout, shitty vibe, not cool. Um, 
and at that point, I mean, that tour with Alexis was kind of, that was like the beginning of just super weird shit for us. Like as far as not really getting along and kind of things kind of go, it was like a dark period. That was the darkest period for us. I think that kind of just ended like a couple of years ago or a year ago, two minutes, a couple of years ago. Um, and it progressively got better, but, and that was also when things became really hard to be a band like us, because that was kind of, around what I was referencing earlier, where it's like, we don't fit in with the new thing that's becoming super popular, even more than we don't fit in with the old thing that was super popular. Um, like we had, did a tour where like everyone wore button downs and it was just like, this is fucking weird. Like, this right. Dumb, you know? And it was like, that was sort of that weird. That was the turning point where it's like bands all kind of looked it's like hair metal came into punk um, ish. There was a big like aesthetic change in the way where before there was no aesthetic other than like, oh, I just put these or like everyone would put on fucking running shorts because it was so hot on stage or whatever, you know, whatever. It was more of a utilitarian thing than a presentation thing. Sure. And then it kind of started to flip to a presentation thing, which was really hard for us to like even navigate because I don't know if you even, it's even worse now. We just look like someone's weird uncles showed up at the show. <laughs> right. right. Uh, you know, um, but I'm glad that we seemed like we were having an awesome time because there were definitely days when we had a really good time on that tour. And I mean, as far as like, we like potentially weird bedfellow pairings and stuff. Like we're still tight with those. I mean, tight is in like, anytime I see the Alexis dudes, I'm always stuck to hang. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. And, so I, and, and cool. I, and I think too, with that, that idea of you know, so many bands that were of that newer generation and ilk clearly looked up to hot water music. And it was that idea of like, I can't believe we're getting to tour with this band that looms so large in my life. And so, um, it, it's kind of interesting and cool to see how these things ping pong off of one another, even though, like you said, it may, uh, you know, from an audience perspective may not mean as much where it's like, I just came to see one of the bands, not both of them. Yeah. I mean, I think it would probably be much easier now if us and Alexis played together than it was then. Yeah. Um, you know, and we had a, there was a few, there's a few things that ended up happening around there doing tours like that, where it's like, this is sort of the, uncharted territory that we're going to have to kind of work with. Um, and then I think probably for better, we just stopped playing a little bit after that. Cause I don't think we would have been able to, it was, I feel like a lot of bands from our generation sort of just like, that's when they all started to kind of taper away. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's just, there, there wasn't really a world. That's what it's talking about. Like when kind of like the middle class sort of evaporated where it's like, Oh Jesus, everyone's either on fuse and much music nonstop or they're playing to 50 people and then it was we didn't really want to do the 50 people route again so we just kind of bailed yeah i mean you're you hit the nail on the head it definitely is especially too where like you were talking about the the presentation and the aesthetic uh no shots at that because clearly that's totally yeah i'm friends with a ton of those bands and love a lot of those i mean the cure is my favorite band so i obviously have no problem with like there being an aesthetic to how things look it was just like when it came into the world we were operating in, it was like, oh shit, like nobody saw this coming. Um, and this definitely is not something we can really succeed at. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah. Like this, this is a path that we can't go down, even if we tried. Dude, like, it was so bad. Like I said, there was one tour and it was just like, in hindsight, every time I see pictures of us, I'm like, that was so fucking dumb. 
what was what was the tour that you guys did where I you I think it was AFI and bleeding through where everyone was like, Okay, I guess we should like wear like some oh, pants and some button downs yeah. and like and it was like, you know what? In hindsight, I'm like, probably would have been better if we just went up there looking like shit, honestly. Like it probably would have made more of an impression and been cooler. Like, so that's right. You get and that kind of harkens back to the beginning of the conversation where when you're doing the band for a living, you make dumb fucking decisions sometimes. <laughs> Well, it, but I mean, to, maybe I'm giving you a pass here, but I think where it's like the practicality of what you guys were thinking about in regards to that, where it's like, okay, like we are not going to, you know, clearly like wear makeup and mold ourselves into something that is like a complete facsimile of who we are, but like we can probably push ourselves a little bit. So like, you know, I, I see why you would make that decision. It's not like we didn't own button down shirts or pants. Like it's just that we never wore them on stage. So it was just like, oh, I have to wear this there now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it'd be a different story if you were, you know, coming on in, uh, you know, pl- pleather outfits and people have been like, oh, totally. what is this? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, and, and so kind of on that tip, like once you started to transition less uh, in the, you know, road dog lifestyle, was there, and I know that you played for Census Fail for a decent amount of time as well. Mm-hmm. Was there a, a fear on your part as you started to transition out of that into a more quote unquote normal lifestyle? Did you feel that, uh, I guess, whole or lack of identity? Or was it kind of like, well, this is just another chapter in my life? Um, it was a lot of, it was kind of a shit show. I mean, it went like, when I was in Census, I was still technically in Census when we did Exister. I mean, I think I might have even done... Did I do it? When we recorded it. Was I? That's a little tricky. Um, yeah, I think I was. We just weren't doing anything at that point. Right. Um, so it, it that was... We did Exister, and then, like, you know, whatever. I got divorced. Um, so I was that was sort of like enough, I guess, chaos for me to not worry about the not touring aspect so much. Um, and then we did some touring on Exister. And then once that slowed down and that the Exister was kind of, that was an awesome record. It's still like a little bit of a continuation of, we were still super dysfunctional at that point. Um, and not in like, I mean, maybe some kind of monster bad. I don't know if it was that bad, but I keep talking about that fucking movie lately. Um, I, I, I mean, it's it's iconic. It's just, it keeps rearing its head because I guess because I'm doing interviews. Um, so it, it, we were not great at community. I mean, I think most of uh, you know we were pretty passive aggressive about getting things figured out with each other, and so we kind of entered like the dark era 2.0 where we were doing. We went from not doing anything at all to doing things and it always being a complete fucking pain in the ass to get it figured out and everything getting lost in translation and us having a manager and Chuck had a manager and way too many people talking to way too many people to even know what the hell was happening. Um, like in a legitimate way, it, I'm sure that works in some camps, but it did not in ours. Um, so it, I kind of had a, the decision was made for me. Mm-hmm. And once I, I still have the same job now that I had, um, that I finally found then, um, once I kind of got like a, a steady job and was able to tour for like extra money, I guess, or is a way to put it when I did it, it, it I like it now. Um, 
and I like being home. I mean, my, you know, my wife and I, she stopped touring once we got married. Um, we're both like pretty pumped to not be on the road after doing it for so long. Cause it's like, I don't know what the, I don't know what would get me to go out for like six weeks or something crazy like that now, you know? And, right. and I think that the last, we'll go to Europe for a couple of weeks at a time because our shows are much better there. And, um, you, you kind of have to get, you're already, it's not a quick trip. No. Um, yeah. You're over there. You're over there. Yeah, exactly. So, but it, we did a, during this sort of like dark period 2.0 or whatever I'm calling it, we did a two week tour. Um, it was like 2014 and half of it sucked because we were playing markets that I'm not going to slag Lawrence, Kansas is like a place to live, but for us to play there, it's terrible now. It used to be decent, but, and I don't know if when I say it used to be decent, if it wasn't just the same as it was last time and I have a different perspective. So we kind of also realized that like, okay, so we did this two week tour that could have been like uh, seven shows if we had just figured out a different way to do it. Um, So that was sort of the beginning of this, like, let's do these long weekends. Let's play the major markets. Let's make the shows like we don't have to go on tour. We fly someplace and play a few shows and go home. Um, Like some of that was born out of me having a nine to five that I can't, I mean, I'm still like free to do whatever I want, but just kind of trying to stay in that um, pocket as much. And then everyone just kind of getting, everyone's like very settled in their home lives. Everyone's, you know, we are all, I think we're, we will be for the rest of our lives, um, partnered up and familyed up and all that. And so that kind of definitely didn't sound bad to anyone else when it's like, Hey, we don't need to play all these places that aren't that, like just yeah, pick our spots. Just, yeah. It's like not disrespect to the fans that live there. I get that. I live in fucking Florida. No one comes here. So it's like, we just kind of had to take the band back for ourselves a little bit, I guess. Um, yeah. And make it a way that, that we feel cool about it. So it was a clunky landing for me personally. Um, but I'm super pumped on it because now I pretty much like going to play shows all the time. Even if I'm like kind of sad sacking my way out the door, uh, I'm stoked to, to see everyone and to go to a you know city and see some friends and, and, and playing live is always been the part that I've liked the best. Um, yeah. Cause it's kind of like, you know, it's sort of the big payoff, I guess, or whatever. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, it's something that you can look forward to as opposed to, you know, one of a litany of tour dates. It's like, I can look forward to 12 things a year, but you know, 200, like that's just life, you know? <laughs> exactly. And so then it, it's wild, man. Like it, the, the, the number that it does on you as far as just, you get so stuck. I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't, there's not a day where I wake up and I'm like, fuck, I wish I didn't have a job just because that's who doesn't say that. But like, I am so happy that I have a normal like thing that keeps me busy every day because I know now that if I was just home for, Oh, we're just home for like eight months this year. What, what the hell would I do with my, I have no idea what I'd do with myself. You know? Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Two, uh, two last things I want to hit on was, um, so like you said, the, the, you know, landing and starting to work a job and stuff like that. So what is it that you do from a, a career perspective? I, w- I mean, that's, 
I would like to say I'm still a career musician, but I have a day job. Um, I, a couple a friend that I had, um, when I was living in, in Brooklyn, um, hooked me up with this just kind of a like part-time bookkeeping ask job at a property management company. That's just sort of, oh, developed. Okay. it developed into a little bit more of a full-time thing. And like at that point I was also doing um, some stagehand stuff in New York and like maybe teaching some lessons and we were still playing shows. It was just kind of grabbing anything I could at that point. Cause I was like, okay, I've got to figure out how to like survive. And my wife, and I got an apartment in New York and she was already living there. And I'm like, okay, how are we going to like, I need to make money living here. I know enough people that I should be able to do that. And it started to just kind of turn into one thing led to another. I ended up getting this job that then when um, we moved down to Florida, like six years ago now, I maintained it as a remote job because it was all over the computer for the most part anyway. Uh-huh. Um, and then it kind of rebounded. It was like a little bit of a part-time thing and it rebounded into a full-time thing. So um, I've just been sticking with it. My boss is cool enough to, you know, I don't get gr- grief for playing shows and I just take a laptop and a work phone with me and kind of do your thing, sit, right? Sit in the van on the internet, answering emails and doing shit all day until we go to the show. And then I play the show. So, um, it also makes touring super weird now because I'm not ever like on tour. I'm just working in a van and then I'm <laughs> the show. <laughs> so, um, right. But it's, you know, I very much like it because it takes a lot of the, like what we talked about earlier, it takes a lot of the, um, the kind of financial stress of, touring off of my personal mind um, yeah for sure like there it, it, it's a relief from that perspective um the the last thing i want to ask was it, clearly you have still been engaged very much with you know independent music and the comings and goings of you know new bands and music and all that sort of stuff uh what keeps you connected because like clearly as an adult you don't have to, even though you play in a band, like, you know, there's varying levels of uh, people that pay attention to whatever new is happening. Um, what, what keeps you attached to it? Do you just like that feeling of finding new bands or where's your head at? Um, it was, so there was a period where I didn't like it because everyone I found, I didn't think I didn't like. Um, right. And then I think there was kind of like a Renaissance. I'm not going to have a good year for it, but Kind of when like um, Title Fight and Bounce and Composure and Touche and Lot of Spute and all those bands sort of came on the scene, like yep. that reminded me of like when we started playing, where there was like like what I think of is, and again this is like not disparaging anyone, like what I think of emo bands or screamo bands is way more Lot of Spute than like Crampcore kind of stuff. Yep. Um, so those were the first when those bands started coming around. I was like, I totally know exactly what these. I think I know exactly what these guys listen to. Maybe they're listening to the generation between like discord and them or whatever. Um, and kind of, you know, a lot of those bands aesthetic was for us, we were always more part of the hardcore scene than the punk rock scene. Um, and I felt like that was the same with all these dudes where they were playing like super melodic stuff, but it was, you know, the shows were nuts and people were just stage diving and like, but they're just like not heavy in this traditional sense at all. Um, so that kind of got me to come back around to the like quote unquote punk scene or whatever. I mean, I've always been, I've always been super into music. Um, 
I don't even know what I was getting into at that point. I think at that point I was probably listening to a bunch of the like bigger indie rock stuff because it was a little more interesting, but then that took sort of a like Americana turn. So I was not, I went back to the punk. Um, right. Right. And then I think there's a lot of good bands now. Um, you know, I can't, it's not like no one else knows about them, but I am so pumped for how big turnstiles gotten. Cause they fucking rip. Like yeah. those dudes are good. Um, and as soon as I heard it, I was like, "Ah, oh, man, it's like Snapcase, but like crazy with uh, like it's Snapcase for cool kids. Like, and it, there it is. Like, um, and I mean, I don't know. I've never heard anyone play so much. Like the fact that those dudes put so much bad brains vibes on that last record is and like later bad brains vibes with crazy clean chorus guitars and stuff. I was like, Oh, this is really cool for someone like me. Yeah. Um, so I think there's a lot of good new bands. Like I think drains awesome. I think anxious are really good. Um, drug church rip. So I'm kind of pumped on, on a lot of new bands. It sucks though. Cause we take them on tour and it doesn't work because their fans are so like ingrained in their kind of like this generation scene that anytime we've sort of learned our lesson with taking like, cool new young bands out because their fans are like, man, I'm not going to pay 30 bucks to watch some old fucking dudes play. I'll just wait till these guys play at the basement down the street or whatever. So, <laughs> totally, totally. Yeah, which I totally agree with. I'm like, good, good, smart move. Like, <laughs> yeah, you're like, I would have, I would have done that at 22 years old. I understand. <laughs> <laughs> totally. So we just kind of like, um, as much as I would love to put together a package with the like soul glow and some uh, on godly crust band that everyone is like oh my god i can't believe this is happening i know better so <laughs> right the per- personal tastes don't necessarily have to dictate uh you know what what makes the most sense from a uh, business perspective totally <laughs> yeah yeah um, and, but we're lucky because we have enough um we have enough bands that we're friends with that are good and that we can we usually just go on tour with people that we're like really psyched to see and haven't hung out with in a while and the shows are cool and it makes sense and so yeah not complaining about that at all. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Well, Jason, thanks for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate you letting me uh, ping pong these uh, things around your brain that you might not have thought of in quite some time, but thank you. 100%, man. Thanks for having me. There you have it. That was Jason Black. Like I said, please listen to the new Hot Water music. You can find it everywhere, but it's called Feel the Void. Please listen to it. It's really, really good. Next week, I just, I love the wide palette that we paint with sonically here at this particular podcast. I got Emma Boster, the vocalist of Dying Wish, which put out one of my favorite metalcore records of last year. And I was excited to have her on the podcast because I just wanted to know where the band kind of came from and, you know, just really dig into it. So that's what we got next week. Emma Boster from Dying Wish. So until then, please be safe, everybody. The show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Trust me in saying that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you, and how you manage them can make all of the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you. Learn more at BetterHelp.com. That's BetterHelp.com. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. 
brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.